Hey there, it's Jim Stengel, host of the CMO Podcast. We're all marketers here, so let's be real for a sec. We all know that your website shouldn't be a static asset. It should be a dynamic part of your strategy to build your brand and drive conversions. That's Marketing 101. But 54% of marketing leaders say web updates take too long. That's over half of you listening right now. And that's where Webflow comes in. Their visual-first platform allows you to build, launch, and optimize web pages fast. That means you can set ambitious marketing goals and your site can rise to that challenge. Learn why teams like Dropbox, IDEO, and Orange Theory all trust Webflow to achieve their most ambitious goals today at webflow.com. Want to drive greater success in social commerce? With Deloitte's latest creator economy research, you can. After surveying over 500 creators and 500 brands, our insights are helping CMOs and marketing teams harness the power of content creators. And not only that, but how to do it well. See for yourself by visiting cmo.deloitte.com today. What's a brand that you remember early in your life in Wisconsin having an impact on you? Well, this is cheating a little bit because we talked about it before we went on air, but definitely Harley-Davidson. I grew up in the sticks. My dad rode motorcycles when I was growing up. It was like the gold what standard. What brand, Harley? It was not a Harley. No. It was, you know, a little bit of a knockoff. Um, that is a brand that has like existed and continued throughout my life. And like, st- like when you're walking around Brooklyn, like that's a brand that's cool to like hipsters. So it's a brand that never really changed their aesthetic, never really changed their voice, like totally knows who their audience is and just, just like stuck it out and stayed true to it even while they're trying to evolve the product. Hi, I'm Jim Stengel, and I help major brands find their purpose and activate it, and the profits follow. For seven years, I was the global marketing officer for Procter & Gamble, where I oversaw the marketing of hundreds of brands. You may not know it, but the CMOs, the chief marketing officers of all of your favorite brands, are trying to connect you with your favorite products and services through purpose. And on this show, I delve into how they do it. My guest today on the CMO Podcast is Sarah Flynn, the general manager of 35 Ventures, Kevin Durant's portfolio of companies founded in 2017 by the NBA star and his manager, Rich Kleiman. Sarah worked in the music industry for several years before joining Jay-Z's entertainment company, Rock Nation, where she founded the sports marketing department. We've never had a guest quite like Sarah Flynn. Here's my conversation with Sarah. Sarah, welcome to the CMO Podcast. I know you're not a CMO, but that's okay. <laughs> well, thank you. I We're all doing marketing, that. right? Exactly. Yeah. Everything is marketing these yeah. days. So this is a first. I'm really happy about today because this is a first on the CMO Podcast. We've never had a leader like you, and we've never had a company like yours. And I imagine our listeners are all going to want your job because it's probably about the coolest job in the world. I have to be honest. I kind of feel the same way. It's a pretty great job. Yeah. So is it the coolest job on earth? Um, It's certainly the Up coolest there? job I've had. You know, I feel like it's something that like this kind of role and the kind of things that we're doing were like a twinkle in the eye of myself, uh, KD and Rich Kleiman, you know, maybe five or six years ago. And like none of us really knew what it would look like, but we all kind of knew we wanted to work together. And I think we all felt like there were just bigger opportunities in the world. So when things started to come to fruition and they started building their own company and building their own brand, the opportunity to join that, even though it was very nascent, we didn't really know what the there there was yet, was just like incredible. Like building something from scratch, kind of really taking a look at what are the things that we want to be doing and what 
drives us and like pushing towards those things as opposed to going into an established company and saying, here are the challenges and here are the priorities. and How do we work with that? It was such a great perspective to be like, we're literally going to approach this from the perspective of what do we want to do? What do we think is fun? And go from there. That's all. We're going to get into that later about this whole idea of purpose and meaning and and your partners. But what I want to do is I want to start kind of helicopter up and go back cool. and talk about where you started. Now, you were born south of Milwaukee. I was born in Lake Geneva, Wisconsin, um, a town of, at the time, about 5,000 people, you know, so a little bit in the sticks. So how did you get from that small town to New York City where you went to school, correct? Yes, correct, correct. You went to so, college in New York City. Yeah, I went to the new school. Um, for and you both. went to graduate school there as well. I did a combined BAMA. Um, which was a little bit. Of so, how did you get from Wisconsin to that? Um, you know, kind of when I was, choice. you know, as a teenager trying to decide kind of what I wanted to do, if I wanted to go to college, like what that was going to look like for me. I think I was really not drawn to the idea of going to a traditional college where I was taking like all of these required credits and ha- being forced to sort of do all of these things like my freshman year before I got to start doing the things that I wanted to do. Um, the new school had a really incredible creative writing program at the time. And some of their alumni were like very well regarded. And people like Tennessee really Williams, loved. Tennessee Williams, Seiko Sundiata, Ani DeFranco went there. Um so for, and, and just looking at their curriculum and like how arts based they were, it really appealed to me. And that was a school that I wanted to go to. It had never occurred to me to live in New York. I hadn't thought about New York as an option. Um, the day I moved to New York, I'd never been on a plane before. It was very cute. Um, but My it worked. My first plane ride was after I graduated from college. Wow. To where? I did one of those $99 flights to Brussels, and I was 21 with a buddy of mine, and we spent like 12 weeks in Europe with no money. It was, it was fabulous. That's a beautiful thing. Yeah. So, the, and the kind of thing you can really only, airline. You can only do it when you're 21 yeah, exactly. because you'll age out of that experience yeah. real fast. Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. Now, you have been in the if – I, if I look back on your life, what I know about it, you've been involved in creativity, arts – music, mm-hmm. culture, sports, as long as I can see. Where did that start? I mean, you grew up in this small town. Was it from your parents or some other influence? or what? Definitely a love of music was like always something really, really big in my family. Um, my dad is very huge into sports as well. Like he thought his kids were going to be Packers linebackers. And then like he got me and my sister. Sorry, instead. dad. Yeah. So like that was a little bit of a bummer for him. I've kind of redeemed myself since. Um, but, you know, everybody was always really passionate about music. I was really passionate about music. And that was never something that I thought about as a job. But just in the back of my head, it was like, you know, moving to New York was great for me because it was like, I can go see all of these bands that I love and I can go to concerts here every night. And there's so much happening that wasn't happening where I was from. Um, and, you know, what I had intended on doing was becoming a philosophy professor. So I got a combined BAMA in philosophy, which is maybe one of the least useful things if you're not going to be a philosophy professor. So why did you do that? What was your... What attracted you to that? I was really drawn to it. You know, when I got to college, um, I think I had realized pretty quickly that like creative writing wasn't quite where I wanted to be. And they had some incredible, incredible philosophy professors at the new school. And I started studying with them and they were very encouraging to me. I had some really great mentors and they were like, listen, if this is a thing that you want to do, like your brain is very analytical, you're very good at this, you should keep pursuing this. And I was just very encouraged by all of the people around me being like, yes, yes, you should do this, you should do this. But at the same time, my sophomore or junior year, I started interning at a small indie record label. 
So I started learning the ins and outs of the music business. I started like understanding what that world looked like from the inside out. And at a certain point, I had to make the choice. Do I want to keep putting money into school, money that I don't have? And do I want to try to find out where I'm going to go get a PhD and like try to get tenure somewhere at a time where nobody's getting tenure in a field that's about this big where there are no other women? Or do I want to keep doing this job that I'm not being paid very much for, but I am being paid for in the music industry? And that's what I ended up choosing. I figured I could always go back to school if I needed to. Did you have a thesis in philosophy? I did. What was it? I did. Is it, is it explainable? I wrote my thesis on morality in fiction, particularly through the novels of Vladimir Nabokov. Um, his books, Lolita and Pale Fire, I think, mm-hmm. were the ones that I explored and how sort of the idea of imaginative engagement and like the way that literature is laid out on the page is designed to make you think about morality, but not in the way that you would expect. What are you reading now? I read a lot of different stuff now. I just read Ronan Farrow's book, which is yeah, really good. I have that now, actually. Um, reading yeah, it now. That was really incredible. I kind of go back and forth between fiction yeah. and nonfiction. You know, I, yeah, I haven't I haven't done some of that deeper philosophical reading in a while. Um, a lot of my guests are recommended a gentleman from Moscow or in Moscow. I forget. I just I just finished that, which was remarkable. And I, I just and actually out. I was on a long plane ride yesterday from Portland, Oregon, and I read Bob Iger's book, which I thought would. I, you know, I had modest He's expectations. So interesting. It was so good. I still need to read that. I read, uh, who is it, Ed Catmull, when he put his book out. I read that book about Pixar, which I really, really loved. I still need to read Bob's book. Yeah, it's so good. So go back to the new school for a minute. Sure. I mean, that's an you know uh, interesting choice for a kid, uh, yeah. 18, coming out of Wisconsin. What was, you talked about the philosophy major, discovering mm-hmm. you know a career in music sort of there. What else was remarkable about that, about that experience? I mean, what was... Um, you know, I think... How, how'd you change? Yeah. I mean, first of all, it was my first experience being in the city. I think being in a place where there's no campus, you're literally in the heart of the city. Like, all the main buildings are right there, kind of in the Union Square village area. Um, so that was really good for me. And just, like, meeting other people who had similar interests to me, people who liked the music that I liked, people who were reading stuff that I wasn't reading. Um, and again, I was just so blown away by the caliber of teacher that I could have and like the kinds of people that I had access to. It was like really, really appealing to me. Um, And again, like I thought that I was just going to be an academic. So like being in the heart of New York studying felt like this really cool thing for a while. Are you a musician? Do you play? I'm sing, not. You know? I'm not. You know, your it's, father. It's one of those. Anyone in the no, family? Not no, really. Practicing musician. It's, it's very much. I, you know, I've got like uncles and, and cousins and stuff, mm-hmm. but nobody in my immediate family really. It's definitely one of those if you can't do teach situations um, where, you know, a lot of the people who are in the music industry are people who are just not good at playing it. Well, you know, I've, I've, I mean, I love music. So many friends do. Very few of them are musicians, mm-hmm. but uh, but it's a big joy in their life, right? Yeah. It's yeah. And, it's, and I think it's a, something that a lot of people can relate to. So like just really being drawn towards those experiences. And again, I think there's a lot of connectivity between the way that, you know, academics think and philosophers think and musicians think and even athletes think from a creativity perspective. So I think I've always just like been drawn to that kind of talent, um, which is what pushed me further into the music industry. I studied your career path and you had, you you graduated, had lots of, lots of jobs in the music industry. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's quite a few experiences. And then you went to Rock Nation about seven years ago. Yeah, 2013, 2013. I, went, I went to Rock. And yeah. then two and a half years ago, you went to 35 Ventures. Yes. 
So really interesting career path. We're not going to go through it blow by blow, although that would be fun. But can you think about one or two really defining experiences Mm -hmm. in that career track that influenced who you are as a person and, you know, and then maybe a mentor or two who was really, really important for you? Yeah, 100%. So, you know, I think I had the unique experience while I was in music, you know, during a really challenging time in music, right? Um, Digital music was becoming a thing. Streaming was becoming a thing. All of those kind of bloated sales numbers from the late 90s were no longer a thing. So, you know, I dealt very early in my career with the experience of being laid off two times in a row, which is, you know, very humbling as a young person to be like, oh, my career path is not going to be linear. Um, I'm going to have to kind of ride the wave and understand how to move within this industry because it's not going to make space for me. I've got to figure it out on my own. Um, But there's a woman named Dorothy Hui who runs digital at Sony UK now. um, And she hired me at three different companies in a row, including Rock Nation, actually, um, after I had left to go to another company. And I worked in book publishing for a little while because I was like needed a break from Mm -hmm. music. Um, But she was probably one of the biggest champions that I had in the music industry. And she saw something in me that I hadn't quite figured out in myself. And she really pushed me to be a leader and pushed me to do new things. And when she brought me on to Rock Nation, part of her pitch to me was, this isn't a traditional record label. This is also a management company. We work a lot with brands. We're doing a lot almost from an agency perspective, like, I think there's a lot of room for you to grow here. And I don't think it has to be just that standard, oh, you're working in marketing at a record label. It's not that cut and dry. And that really, really appealed to me at the time. And I think that moment and that decision and her inviting me to come into that is what really opened up my career and changed my path in so many ways. She hired you three times. What did she see in you? I think that she saw somebody who was willing to be a really hard worker to start. Um, I'm not scared of trying to figure out something that I don't know how to do, which I think is an asset in any scenario. Um, You know, in every role she hired me in, it was a role that had not previously existed. So it was something where I was kind of coming in again, understanding what the challenges were that she had and she had with her team and with the resources that were available and just trying to use whatever experience I had to kind of push myself and and figure out how to help. Um, You know, I I think I'm very good at not having a distinct job description and I can just kind of like fill in the gaps, figure out what's needed, figure out where something needs to grow from a marketing perspective and sometimes – you know, other things like figuring out like, oh, we need production resources. We need, you know, operations help. Um, I think I've just always been kind of good at going between those different roles and figuring out where I'm best needed. Uh, I think she appreciated that about me. Mm-hmm. We've all been there. You spend millions of dollars each year driving traffic to your company's website, and then the results come in and they're just not what you hoped. On top of that, 81% of marketing leaders say website ownership is a challenge. So, what do you do? Well, you switch to Webflow. Let me tell you why. Webflow's visual-first platform empowers your team to own your company's most valuable dynamic marketing asset, your website. From launching a new site to optimizing for SEO and conversions, Webflow gives you the tools you need to drive business growth fast. Unlock your website's full potential when you build, manage, and host with Webflow. Get started today at webflow.com. So at Rock Nation, which you were at for several years. And you yeah, I think four and a half. And you started the sports marketing group there, if I have that right. 
Well, I started on the music side and about okay. three months in maybe, um, you know, the head of the company said to me, you know, we're starting a sports division. Do you want to start working with some of our sports clients as well? And I was like, I absolutely do want to do that. And it was not a twist I had seen coming in my career. It was something that was new. I was really excited about it. I was like, when am I ever going to have this so chance? who were your first sports clients? Um, Robinson Cano. Skylar Diggins, who's a stellar WNBA player, if you don't know her, CeCe Sabathia, and I think KD were probably my first mm -hmm. people that I worked with. Mm -hmm. um, you know, all really incredible talents, really nice people. I was really struck by their humility um, and just how easy they were to work with, which was not something that I would have expected from people who are typically making millions of dollars and have all of this other stuff going on. So tell me about your time at Rock Nation. What, uh, you know, what... What's, what was the culture like? What was your work like? Mm -hmm. I mean, how is it different? How is the company different, you know, because you were there? Yeah. Give us a little bit of a sense of what that experience was sure. like. Sure. I mean, the company obviously evolved a ton while I was there, particularly given that, you know, they opened up the sports world and, and did a lot of really unexpected things there and I think disrupted the sports industry a little bit, which was like very cool to be a part of. Um, and I think around the time I started, you know, it was growing, but it still felt very startup-y in mm -hmm. a lot of ways. And, you know, I think by the time I left, it was a much larger company. There were a lot more things happening. There was, you know, a lot going on in the event space, a lot going on that was trying to cross the world of music and sports. Um, you know, a couple of years into my working there, they launched a boxing division, which really opened up another level of being in the sports industry as well. So, you know, they were doing merch by the time I left. So just kind of seeing like all of the different areas where they felt like they could put themselves as a company and like work to succeed with a lot of the same people. Um, kind of working, wearing multiple hats and working across multiple things was very, very interesting for me. And it was like, just gave me a lot to learn from whether I was involved in those things or not. What was the most ambitious event you worked on there? Um, hmm. That's a great question. Probably, uh... This event that we put on every summer uh, with Robinson Cano and CeCe Sabathia called the Summer Classic, which was a charity basketball game that we held at the Barclays Center. Um, you know, it's a pretty big space to fill from a charity perspective. Sure and getting a lot of celebrities in a room together and like organizing an event like that from scratch takes a lot of people, takes a lot of team. When it's for philanthropy, you don't have a marketing budget, so you're doing a lot of bartering and you're asking a lot of people for favors. Um, but I feel like, you know, that was something that we were all super, super proud of. Well, you had a good run there, but then you decided to leave and join Rich and Kevin. Mm -hmm. So, so, so what, yeah. Tell me about that. How, why'd you make that choice? How'd that happen? Well, I had, Was that tough? I had left, actually, to go to the Players' Tribune. Ah, uh, okay. Um, I think at the top of 2017. Um, and it was a choice that I made because I felt like I had learned so much at Rock Nation. I wanted to grow a little more. I wanted to do, to, to sort of experience what the sports world could be like outside of working for an agency. Um, and Players' Tribune had offered me a role as the head of marketing there. And, you know, they were a company I really respected. I had some friends over there. I was really interested in what they were doing mm -hmm. from an athlete storytelling perspective. Um, so I kind of jumped at the chance to join that team and be there. Um, and, you know, not too long after I started there, I had, you know, I'd never lost touch with Rich and Kevin. Like we were all very close at that time because we just worked together for a long time very closely. Um, but, you know, Rich and Kevin had kind of gone off. They had started their own company. Again, like 
Kevin had had some investments. They were starting to work a little bit on some media stuff. Like they had some irons in the fire and I think it was starting to snowball a little bit more than they had expected it to. Um, And at some point Rich called me and he was like, listen, I know you're just getting settled at Players Tribune. I know you haven't been there that long. I know this is kind of crazy, but like we really want you. Um, You know, I think you'd be really great helping us run this company. You know, So how many people at that time? Just them. Just them. Just them. And, you know, um, a woman who was kind of working across both of their schedules as an executive assistant. Um, And and he was like, you know, you can come in as the GM, help us shape this company, help us figure out what it's going to be and and like really build it from scratch with us. And, And that's not something that I could say no to. Sure. So where did you start? Great question. (laughs) I mean, I think because we'd had the relationships that we had, there were some things that I knew where to dig in, right? You know, Kevin had 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 some brand deals going on at the time. His Nike business has kind of been on the up and like figuring out what that looked like and and working with him on digital marketing and those kinds of things were things that I had already been doing. So some of those things I picked up where I had left off. Um, You know, they, you know, Kevin had, had, been um, with the Golden State Warriors for one season. He'd met a lot of people in Silicon Valley. So he was doing a lot in the investment world. And he was also meeting people um, like Eddie Q from Apple and Neil Mohan from YouTube. And they had started having some conversations about, you know, what would it look like if Kevin started a YouTube channel? He was really interested in the idea of producing sort of more long form content, doing something that was very social media friendly, but not traditional social media. Because at that point, you know, like he's been a professional athlete for over 10 years. He's been doing the social media thing for a long time. Like he just kind of wanted to mm-hmm. know what it would look like from a fresh perspective. So the biggest thing I, I think I, I sort of dug in on was Nike was making a mini documentary about Kevin's first season with Golden State and like what that experience was like. We obviously all hoped it would be like a road to the championship thing, but you don't know as you're making it what it's going to be. So working on that project and simultaneously setting up, well, if we're going to do other stuff with YouTube, what's it going to look like? And what's our programming strategy going to be? And like, what do you like and what do you not like? What do we want to do? Those were the two biggest things that I started to dig into. And within that first year, we, you know, conversations with Apple about a scripted show started coming up. Rich had had a conversation with Connor Shell at ESPN about what if we did a show about the sports business? What if we created something that's kind of a microcosm of all the things we're talking about and doing and all the information that all these athletes are sharing with each other every day? And that became our media platform, The Boardroom, which is like a huge priority for us today. So a lot of those conversations were happening very early on and I got to be a part of them and like kind of help see them through, um, which was really, really exciting. So now you've been in two and a half years, right? Yeah. And tell us about your work. I mean, you talked about how you started up. It sounded like a lot of ideation and what are we going to do? Yeah, a lot of ideation, a lot of pitch strategy, a lot of of kicking things around. You know, at first it was also just like, let's get a camera crew and see what we can do. We did this really fun YouTube series in the parking lot at Oracle Arena that we called Parking Lot Chronicles, hosted by Kevin's teammate at the time, JaVale McGee, where we would just grab his teammates or celebrities or fans that were walking out of the arena and interview them in the parking lot right after a game. And that was super fun. And that was, I think, the moment where we were like, you know what, working with other athletes is really fun. We want to do more of it and we want to do a little bit more of it from the business perspective. So that was where the boardroom really came to life for us. And, you know, that is probably the project that I spend most of my time working Mm -hmm. on now. Um, You know, it's grown from being a series on ESPN Plus, which the second season launches next week, February 12th. 
Um, you know, some of the guests in the second season are incredible. We do a rapper go to the league episode where we're really breaking down the differences between the sports business and the music business, which for me, oh, fantastic, like, very on brand um, with Vic Oladipo, Steve Stout, who obviously has been in the industry yeah, for years. Well. Incredible. Yeah. Um, Rhapsody and Two Chains. And that conversation was just so illuminating. Definitely one of my favorite episodes. There's a great episode about wide receivers where you've got Ocho Cinco, Chris Carter, and Victor Cruz breaking down like the perception of the wide receiver swag and like what their different businesses are like and what their experience was like in the league and like how it's different now. Um, you know, those were probably two of my favorites. There's five episodes in total. They're really, really great conversations. And I think we really leveled up from season one. So I'm really excited about that. Congratulations. Thanks. Thanks. But, you know, we're, we're really building it out as a whole media platform. We have a weekly newsletter now. We're doing kind of digital exclusive one-on-one -on -one interviews about twice a month. Um, we're doing news stories and kind of infographics and really figuring out where what fans want to know about the sports industry that we can provide. So helping to build out that platform has been probably the most fun thing I've done in a lot of years. Oh, fantastic. So what, what uh, beyond that, what? You know, what else are your priorities? What other things are you that you can talk about? Are you working on? Sure. So, you know, I think we're gearing up for uh, the launch of Kevin's newest sneaker, the KD-13, this spring. Um, so we've done a lot of work going into that. Obviously, we're very excited about his return to the court. Yeah. Um, this Everyone has been a, is. This yeah. has been an interesting season for yeah. us. It's been weird to, like, kind of have him be a little bit on the sidelines, but also amazing to have him in New York. Right. So it's, right. it's, 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 it's very different. Um, there's a documentary that I'm really excited about coming out with Showtime um, in the coming months about the – magnitude of players that have come out of PG County, Maryland, where Kevin's from, and just kind of like how all of their stories have converged and how like there's just like something in oh, the water great. in that place. What a great like, concept. What a, what a, what a strange place for yeah. all of these incredible players to have come out of. And like they all have just like this brotherhood and the sisterhood like with each other. And like it's really cool, that story. Yeah, it's fascinating. You know, at a time, a lot of quarterbacks came out of Western Pennsylvania. I mean, yeah. What's that about? Yeah. You know, what's there going on there? There are just these little pockets of the world where it's like, and when you dig into them, you can see like, oh, there are some like socioeconomic factors. And then there's some like, you know, just like cultural factors. And there are some things that you can point to, but none of those things like all added up, like equal, like, you know physical prowess like you can't manufacture that so it's it's really cool to see how that story evolves so that's one thing that i'm really excited about so you have amazing uh bosses right yeah the i co founders. do founders yeah so what are they like as bosses um what can you know learn from them when you talk about mentors i think kevin and rich are both very high up there on the list and and rich in particular as someone for me who was the from the day i met him a huge champion for me, a real advocate, somebody that I could go to and pick his brain if I was having a challenge or a problem, whether or not I had anything to do with the athletes he was working with or anything that he was working on, he always made time to listen to me. And that really made an impression because he didn't have to. You know, he was in a much higher role than I was at, at Rock. He had a lot of things going on. He didn't need to make that space for me. And I think the fact that both of them have always regarded me as a peer uh, you know, in, in many ways as like a partner and like somebody that they can kick around ideas with. Like they've always been very, very respectful. And that's not something that you normally get out of people who are in their positions. So like just their humility and addition and, and, and their respectfulness and their creativity. Like I think that's something that people who don't know Kevin might be surprised about. Like he's actually got one of the best marketing brains I know. 
he's really smart. Like if you go to him and like if you go to him with an idea and he doesn't like it, he can figure out exactly how to turn it around and how to make it better in a heartbeat. It's an amazing skill. Yeah, it really is. Like dealing with commercial creative and like ad agencies and stuff. He'll be like, I think we should do this, this, this. And he's like always right. He would have been good at PNG, right? He would have been great at PNG. <laughs> yeah, actually, he would have been. <laughs> I think it's beyond that now. Right? Yeah, it's a little, you know, sometimes it's annoying because I'm like, you're really good at this, but like you have a full time job that you are also very good yeah. at. Like you're the best at that. Can I be the best at something? Like, <laughs> you know? So the culture, you're now what, 15 people or so at 35 yeah. Ventures? Yeah. Tell me about the culture that you and they have created and how it's different from rock. I mean, look. We're we're a very diverse crew, you know. I think we've got a lot of people from very different backgrounds, which I think is really exciting. Um, you know, we've had people who come from the VC world, people who come from working with other sports teams. Um, you know, our art director just joined us from Twitter, so everybody has different backgrounds, everybody has different work experience, and I think that's been really, really valuable for us. While you know, I think it was good for us to start out with the core of people who knew each other and kind of knew the lay of the land with each other to really start to build a business, but bringing in these outside perspectives and bringing in these outside people. Um, you know, our, our VP of operations who just joined to kind of really help streamline and help grow the company came from Endeavor. So mm. everybody has all of these different experiences and all of these different insights. And I think that the way we all connect and work together is something really special. So are you co-located or are you all dispersed? I mean, how do you, we're all, how do you communicate? Yeah, how do you we're, work all, we're pretty much all together. Um, you know, we're in a temp space now. Our, our new shiny new office opens in March in Chelsea, which we're really excited about. But yeah, we've all kind of we started out all working remotely. And I think we've all been working together like in an office, like more structured environment since late summer mm -hmm. of last year, yeah. which has been really good for everybody. So you've seen, you know, from the beginning, Rich and Kevin's startup, which mm -hmm. is now and then you were there kind of in the early days of rock, right? Well, I mean, like the middle days, days, the middle, middle days. days. So tell me about the two, the founders. You have Jay-Z on the one side and Kevin and Rich. I mean, how are mm -hmm. they, what can we learn from them? They both started up pretty amazing enterprises. One's more, you know, yeah. been going longer than the other. For sure. I think they're all very creatively driven. Um, I think. And when you say that word creatively driven, deconstruct that a bit for our listeners. What does that mean? I think that means that they're very good at both idea generation and having a very strong sense of how those ideas should be executed, which is, I think you would, from from your days at P&G, you know, is the key to everything, right? Yeah. Like you can throw out as many ideas into the ether as you want, but if you don't have a strong sense of how they need to be executed and get it done, they And if you're not anything. thinking creatively during the execution. 100%. 100%. Because you know, things change as ideas come to life. Yeah. You know? you know, they're all people with a lot of integrity, you know, not willing, like want to succeed and want to make money, but not sacrificing their creative vision or their morals or, or what they believe to do those things. You know, if you're going to do a partnership, it has to be the right partnership. You have, you want to do something more long-term. You want people that think like you do. You want people that value your creative input. Um, and I think those are the things that like have been real commonalities that have stuck out, even though all, obviously all like very different personalities, very different people. Yeah. What would you say is the key to success for today's CMO? If you said data, you wouldn't be the only one. At Deloitte, however, we believe data is only half of the equation. The other half, story. Because data is the language of business, but story is the language of humans. And we believe the most successful CMOs know how to harness the power of both data and story. To learn more about Deloitte's CMO program and how we can help today's CMOs succeed, 
visit cmo.deloitte.com. We talk a lot about brand purpose on this podcast, but I want you to talk a little bit about that. I'm sure that yeah. concept, you know, is, is, is very much in your company, mm-hmm. but I want you to talk about you. You're, you know, two founders. So obviously the purpose is very much about them as human beings. Yeah. But talk to me about, you know, what is the meaning, the purpose, the, the, you know, the higher order yeah. that you're trying to bring to life in your company and, and what could others learn from that? Mm-hmm. You know, brand purpose, as you know, is, you know, it's part of the lexicon now. Yeah, you look at, for you sure. know, P&G, Unilever, f- almost everyone is trying to make a larger impact through their brands. And I'm not talking about philanthropy or cause marketing. It's about what they do every day that makes a difference in the lives of others. And you profit doing it. Yeah, right? yeah. So tell me about that concept at 35 yeah. Ventures. It's an interesting question for me because I also feel like in, in so many cases with maybe all of the companies that I've worked with, it's very much about being in service to others and also sometimes a project by project sense. Like there, you know, we do so many different things at being able to say like, okay, our purpose across everything isn't always like, quite right it's like well what is our perfect purpose which each thing that we're trying to do why are we doing this there are certainly some common threads um you know i think telling stories through the lens of sports and looking at sports as kind of a microcosm of the larger world um is sort of an overall theme with us um you know definitely figuring out the sweet spot between you know what we and like what Kevin wants and his peers want as athletes and what fans want to see. Um, finding that sweet spot is consistent across everything that we do. Um, and just constantly reevaluating everything that we're doing and saying, you know, in addition to the usual KPIs, like, is this successful? What does it mean to be successful? Can we scale this? Can we grow this? Are we enjoying this? Are we having fun doing this? And are the people around us who are involved with this and the people who are watching this or experiencing this or whatever it is, enjoying this? So that's a big measure of success. Are you enjoying it? Are people who are experiencing and enjoying it? I mean, it's weird because I also think like it's not something people really talk about very often. And it's like, especially in today's world, it's like, you know, you, you can and should have fun doing what you're doing if you can. I totally get it. That's, that's a filter for everything I do in my life. That's awesome. You know, and if I'm not loving it or my team isn't loving it, we yeah. just stop. Yeah, then there's probably something do a time not out. quite right. Yeah. Right. And we know how to recognize that earlier than we used to. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's it's very powerful. Because if you're, if you're passionate, having fun, full of energy, it's going to be a good result. For sure. And the opposite of that is not going to yeah. end well. Yeah. You're going to feel so that right energy everyone. in the final product no matter what. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. I want you to... Um, I want to, the last part, because we're not ending mm-hmm. this right now, but the last part of this podcast, you're such an interesting person. You're in the middle of so many interesting ideas and industries. So I want to ask you a lot of questions about you as a leader, you as a person. Cool. And so as we ended up, so um, so the first one is, what's a brand that you really admire right now in terms of what they're doing, their purpose, their activities, their creativity, whatever it might be? Um, That's a really great question. Um, I feel like every time these questions get asked of me, like the all the all the ideas fall out of my head immediately um which you know i'm i'm very intrigued by how brands are telling kind of purpose related stories these days um you know i think secret is one that's done a great job of 
figuring out how to champion women's sports, which is obviously an area where I'm really passionate. Um, and I both appreciate anybody that's willing to put money on the table for women in sports and like give those women proper endorsement deals, as well as give them the spotlight, put them in commercials, have them on air. So I think looking at brands who are doing things like that and doing them well and not cheesy, um, that's very, very inspiring to me. Cool. That's a P&G brand. You know that. Yes, I do. Okay, very good. If you weren't doing this job, what would you be doing? Oh, sheesh. Um, that's a really interesting question to answer when I have what I feel is my dream job. I, I think that I would probably be trying to figure out how to work in the media space. I've really loved working on shows. I've really loved working on documentaries. I do still really enjoy um, writing in general and like the creative part of my brain that I get to use even when I'm writing our company newsletter and things like that. Um, so maybe living in that world, maybe I'm in a writer's room in California. I don't know. Mm-hmm. How many WNBA and NBA games do you attend in a year? Oh, that's a great question. Um, you know, this year has been a little bit weird. I haven't gone to too many Nets games just because it's, it's really mm-hmm. weird for me not to see Kevin on the court. Um, you know, typically I'd say I probably go to maybe 15, 20 NBA games. Um, I went, I only went, made it to one WNBA game last year. That's all going to change this season because the New York Liberty are, are, are playing at Barclays Center this year, which is great. Um, you know, it's a little bit of a slog to go see them in Westchester, which is where they were previously playing. So I think this is going to be a real banner year for them as a team and, and, you know, for, for Brooklyn as a market. Can you take me sometime? Absolutely. Okay. Let's make a date. Yes, please. We'll do it after this. Uh, in terms of what you're watching now, series, movies, what are you What are you enjoying now? I just watched the Taylor Swift documentary on Netflix, and it was so incredibly well done. The storytelling in that doc was, and then the way that they shot it was really incredible to me. Um, and I am someone who had sort of been a Taylor Swift fan and sort of fallen off Taylor Swift, and like had kind of followed like the PR narrative around her and was like intrigued by it from like a business perspective, but was like kind of you know I'm, I don't I don't really care about this. But someone had recommended it to me, and I watched, it and I was like, wow, that was really incredible. Um, I'm really sad The Good Place has ended. As somebody who, with a philosophy background, that show was really special to me because, you know, I like a good philosopher joke now and then. Um, what else am I watching? Those are the two big oh, ones. I just finished The Watchmen. Pretty. I've been meaning to see that. It's tough. I mean, I hung in there with it, but it's, it's a tough really? one to sort of figure out. You well, know. I feel like a lot of people really loved it, and then they didn't. And my son said it's the best thing he's ever seen. Yeah, and they aren't I go with a lot of my kids' recommendations. For another season, which is a bummer. Yeah, yeah. It's hard to tell at the end if it's going to come back, but I hear it's, yeah. not, I hear yeah. it's not coming back. I've been watching a lot of Shit's Creek. I'm excited yeah. about that final season. I used to be somebody that never like paid attention to comedies. Now that's kind of like all I want to consume, which is, I don't know. It's maybe the times. that's like it's Exactly. Times. Like that's like balancing the political climate or whatever. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, podcast. Are you a podcast person? I am not as much of a podcast person mm-hmm. as I would like to be. Um, I can really only listen to a podcast when I'm at home and like focused. Mm. Um, I can't really listen in transit because I end up just like my brain goes other places. Um, you know, obviously we've mentioned I've wa- I've listened to a couple episodes of your podcast and I've really enjoyed it. And we'll keep. Do you have advice for us? It. You're such a creative person. You're involved in so much content. What should we do differently? I mean, I think I. I'm really into how casual you are with the conversations, and I think that's really helpful. Um, You know, I like that you ask people about sort of their failures and their learning curves and things like that. I think, you know, you're doing a great job maybe digging a little bit more into people's Mm day-to-days. I think the most interesting thing about marketing is that if you talk about it to, like, a normal person, they're like, what does that mean? Do you just make shit up all day? And the answer is, like, kind of. 
but also not, you know? Um, so I'm always really intrigued as to like what people's actual day-to-days are because they're so, so, so different. Mm-hmm. Um, but what are, I love, I love Dax Shepard's podcast is really good. I listen to that a lot. Um, you know, there's a couple, I like, I like like the chattier right. podcasts that yeah. are just like conversations about people's lives that I wouldn't have otherwise known. Yeah. Dax amazing. I and mean, he keeps it going for such a long time. Totally. Right? Yeah. To- and I think really he's done good. a really good job evolving too. Yeah. Yeah. Like at first it was like, okay, we've heard all of these stories about you six episodes in a row. And now he like knows how to step back and like he gets some really good guests, which is dope. Is there anything about your day to day that we didn't unpack today? Um, I think we actually did a pretty good job of it. You know, Um, again, I think it's. It sounds like there's no real typical day to day. There is no real typical day to day. You know, I. Yesterday, I spent all day with Kevin at a Nike behind the scenes shoot, got to spend some time with him at practice and sort of see how he's doing, which was really fun for me. Today, I'm, you know, really focused on on making sure we're locked and loaded for the release of Boardroom Season 2. Took a break to come here chat with you. Thank you. Going to go back and probably write a newsletter, you know. Nice, nice. There's a lot going on at every any given moment, but that's really how I like how I like things. So as you think about Kevin and yourself and Rich and how you're evolving this, what do you admire? I mean, what's a benchmark or an inspiration for you? Um, you know, I think that's interesting for us because I don't think there is anybody out there that we have who's like, okay, this is exactly how we want to do things. And I think that's what's exciting for us. Um, you know, Kevin has shared a lot of information and learned a lot of things from his peers. But what I think is really cool about athletes in business right now is that nobody's doing everything the same way. You know, LeBron's business looks very different from Kevin's. Steph's business looks very different from LeBron's. You know, Andre Guadalla has made a huge name for himself in the tech industry. Um, Spencer Dinwiddie, who we interviewed on the boardroom a few weeks back, is really doubling down on Bitcoin and knows more about it than most people would. Um, everybody's really taking their own lane, and I think that's really exciting. And, you know, for us kind of building out these niche and also like being able to tell the stories about their stories, right? which is a little meta, but, you know, it's yeah. it's kind of how we want to do it. Like the, ben- I, you know, I think the sky is a limit for us. I think there's a lot of projects that we have in the hopper that, you know, mm-hmm. could be flagships for us. Yeah. Um, you know, it kind of remains to be seen. A lot of my listeners are really interested in fitness, health, well-being. We had the Equinox CMO on my podcast that was very popular. Anything about kevin that would help our listeners in terms of i mean he's a world-class athlete Mm -hmm. you know he's he's you know recovering and this year what about how he lives his life that would have some interest for our listeners i think the biggest thing that he does um that i've taken a lot of inspiration from is he knows who he is as a person um and he knows how much time he kind of needs mentally to not be thinking about the game or not be thinking about his workouts you know he's very introverted in a lot of ways. And I think it's really important for everybody to be like, understand that downtime and mental health are an actual part of your routine every day and taking time for yourself just to blow off steam, no matter how that, like what that looks like for you. For some people, it's meditating. For some people, it is exercise because exercise is their job. For some people, it's like, let me sit for an hour and play video games. Everybody, I think, has that. And I think a lot of people still feel very, very guilty about that, especially in our line of work and in that culture where it's like hustle, 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 you're not working hard enough. Like I think that mythology is starting to go away and fade. And I think there are a lot of people out there doing the work of being like, you know, actually if you're working 24 seven, you're not being efficient. Um, But I think there's still a long way to go in terms of understanding mental health as a part of physical health. And that's something that I've really learned from him. How do you stay fresh and creative and kind of, you know, 
You have a very busy yeah. life. I shut of. off when I can. I think I do a pretty good job of setting aside time for myself on the weekends and on the evenings when I can, you know, doing something like just pouring myself into a good book or taking a walk in the park or, you know, watching a really dumb TV show. Um, you know, I do like, you know, we talked earlier about like, oh, what are the good things that you're watching that are TV? There's a lot of bad TV that so I which, watch. I've watching? seen What's... every episode of Grey's Anatomy. How is that show still on? Any other bad TV you're watching? Uh, that's probably the biggest one yeah. where I'm just like, why? How? How is this show still happening to me? And why am I watching it every week? But it's a really good excuse for me to turn my brain off. Yeah. You have such an interesting window where you sit on brands and lifestyle and marketing and purpose. What would you like to see more from the industry, from the big brands that are out there, the small brands, the up-and-coming yeah. brands? I think the biggest thing, and it is a really interesting perspective because I do a lot of work with brands, but it's always kind of from the outside peeking right. in. But I think brands need to do a lot of listening. And I think, you know, the what we think of as influencers are constantly evolving, how people and brands are interacting with brand ambassadors and like who you're choosing to represent your product or your or your service is constantly like a nut that people are trying to crack and they think there's like some kind of code to do it and i think really listening to your audience and what they want and when you are working with somebody a kevin durant or an instagram influencer or a celebrity you have to not only understand that you're trying to reach their audience but how you have to do that because there's a lot of taking a step back and saying, well, what do you want to see in a creative person who is the talent and their team? What has worked for you in the past? And that has to be a partnership and that has to be a creative collaboration. And in a lot of cases, the marketing agency needs to step back a little bit and kind of let those brands and the, and those people have that direct conversation and, and and figure out what that creative looks like together. And I think it's really hard for a lot of people to understand that and a lot of people to to take the step back and do that. We had Adam Petrick on the podcast earlier, the Puma CMO, mm-hmm. and he talked about that so remarkably about how he they 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 have creative people working mm-hmm. with them from all kinds of places and they just listen to what their ideas are. And he said our brand is a collection of their creative ideas brought to life. Wow. Yeah. And the brand is super hot. Yeah. Totally. I mean, top line, you know, share price, however you look at it, mm-hmm. super, super hot brand. But he's a really good listener. He has no ego. Ideas can come from it. And he really respects the people who are, you know, working with him on that brand. Yeah. I mean, and that's a great point because that's really where that listening comes from is that you have to put your ego aside. And when there are so many cooks in the proverbial kitchen, it's really hard to do that because everybody wants to be like, I created that commercial. I did that campaign. I'm responsible for that success. And the reality is is that, like, if you're doing it correctly, no one person should be responsible for it. Mm -hmm. So who would you like to listen to on the CMO podcast? I would love to sort of see more people outside of the brand world, you know, Um, some of like what the social media companies are doing, you know, love to see somebody from Twitter, would love to see somebody from Facebook because I think they've had some really interesting challenges that they've had to. Antonio Lucio, their CMO has agreed to come on. Awesome. Awesome. That's great. That's great. Um, You know, I'd be cool to see what sort of the the an athlete would say or somebody you know who's who's doing a lot of marketing but doesn't necessarily know they're doing a lot of marketing um you know i think you've done such an incredible job finding the people that you've 
found. And also, like, kudos to you for finding a very diverse group of people because Thank you. I think that's not the first thing that people no, think of in the CMA, CMO world. And because it's, it's hard to find a wide range of people sometimes. Super. This has been wonderful. Thank Thanks you, for Sarah. having me. This went by, went by very fast. <laughs> so we'll go to a game and we'll chat some more. Yes, okay? absolutely. You pick the Anytime. Game and I'll show up. Great. Sounds great. Thanks again. That was my conversation with Sarah Flynn. I loved her incredible energy. I loved her her approach to life where she knows what she's good at and what she's not good at, and she's comfortable with that. I loved her enthusiasm for the WNBA. We're going to go to a game together. And I love her willingness to jump into ambiguity and figure it out. She likes creating jobs from an opportunity. So, so much to learn from Sarah. It was a fabulous podcast. That's it for this episode of the CMO Podcast. If you found this helpful and entertaining, I would be so grateful if you could share our show with your friends. And I would be super happy if you subscribed so you can be updated as we publish new episodes. And if you really want to help, leave us a five-star rating and a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. The CMO Podcast is a Gallery Media Group original production.